Welcome, everyone. Thanks for being with us this afternoon. Uh, my name is Hannah Bowering. Uh, I work for a charity called Tear Fund. Uh, Tear Fund, if you don't know about it, we are a relief and development charity um, based in southwest London, but we work with partners across the world in the 50 poorest countries around the world. Um, and we're here today to talk about uh, the environment and climate change and Tear Fund. Um, has been talking about this for a while. We're quite passionate about it and quite passionate about Christians responding to it um, because we see its effects every day in the lives and the countries that we work alongside. So that is kind of where we're coming from today. Um, I'm here with my colleague Lauren. Um, yeah, we we realised that we could tag team because we're both here and we both work in the same team. I was like, I don't need to do this all by myself. Lauren can come and do half of it. So we're going to um, just kind of go on a bit of a journey. Lauren's going to do a bit of an overview of some theology. Um, I'm going to look at some more practical um, things um, and there'll be some time for some questions at the end as well. So please do store up any questions in your mind. Um, so, But just wanted to start with a question of... What have you heard about this topic? So climate, environment, creation care, people call it different things in different spaces, in churches that you've been a part of, either your current church or another church that you've been part of. What have you heard about it? If you just want to discuss with some people around you and then we'll just get a bit of feedback at the end of that. Okay, it would be great to hear from a few of you. What have you heard about this in your churches? Does anyone want to? Not much. Okay. Ditto. Is that is that the answer? Is, has anyone heard anything? Yes. Yeah. Great. Which church are you? Yeah, they're my favourites. Sorry. <laughs> We already work with them a bit. That's what. That's why. Yeah. Um, yes. Sort of practical level, would you say we're just trying to make sure our day-to-day -day things are as green as possible, and we cut energy out of the community, energy energy efficiency, 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 Oh, nice. Awesome. Great. Bro. Leeds actually don't quite know why, slightly ahead of the curve on this churches and environment. I have no idea why. We get a lot of stories from Leeds, so well then. Well, obviously it is the greatest. Yes, obviously, yeah. Yeah. That's bro yes. Oh, bro, heat pumps, yeah. Great. Where's, which church is that? Hull. Yeah, legends, yeah. Sorry, was that, yeah. Great. Yeah. Which church is that? Trent, yeah, bro. 
Okay, okay. This is a really, like, I didn't realize this was going to be an excellent way for me to gather information, <laughs> but that actually wasn't what this is about. But yeah, this is good. Yeah. So in the lead up to COP26, yeah. quite a few months before, there was a lot of noise around Antarctica. So, like, how are we engaging with that? Can you set up a little group called Looking After God's World? And actually, there's loads of stuff that has come out of that. Great. Bro. Um, because that people are recognizing the, the beauty of this book in, in God's creation. Yeah. So that's been a real challenge for us to watch how we how do we behave in, in, in that environment? Yeah. How do we Great. respond to issues and things like that? So a few things came out of it, but I won't go into detail. Yeah, I know that's that's really yeah. good. What which church is that? Sorry. Catholic Vineyard up in Aberdeen. Aberdeen, yeah, yeah. Great. Brilliant. <laughs> go Cardiff Vineyard, yeah. Yes, from EA, yeah. That was so interesting. It's so interesting and inspiring to hear some of your stories. And I think um, our experience of talking to churches is, is quite similar to that. There is such a range um, of stories. Churches here are just at the beginning of this journey. Churches who haven't considered it at all. Churches who are already thinking about the practical ways that they can um, they can respond. So what I'm going to hope to do today is give a really quick overview of the sort of theological underpinnings of climate action. Um, and this for you, some of you, you might be like, this is, yeah, know this, I'm with it, I'm with it already, I'm familiar. For some of you, it might be new, or even for some of you, it just might give you, I suppose, equip you in terms of that point of reaching out to others and, and showcasing why this is so central to our salvation, to the gospel, uh, and to the way that we want to bring the kingdom um, on our earth. So I'm going to do a really quick whistle-stop tour of just the whole Bible, <laughs> and just focusing on the story of creation and climate, and I promise it will just be a whistle-stop tour. So Pete Hughes, I don't know if any of you have ever heard of him, but in his great book, um, All Things New, he tells us that the story we live in is the story that we then live out meaning that the stories that we surround ourselves and that we live in subtly shape us, whether we know it or not. They form our longings, our hopes, how we see the world and then how we engage with that world. And in his, in his book, Pete asks this question, what happens when we as people live in a biblical worldview with our hearts and longings shaped by the person of Jesus and the story of God? And his answer is that they become kingdom builders and agents of God's healing and restoration. So what I want to just quickly touch on is this whole grand narrative of the story of God. So the whole storytelling arc of the scriptures, right through from Genesis 1, right up to Revelation 22, is a story of creation, brokenness, salvation, and restoration of the entire world and everything in it. So we're going to start at the very beginning, those famous words, Genesis 1, 1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. We have that beautiful narrative of the first chapter of Genesis of just this epic creation narrative of God throwing stars into space, creating light out of darkness and, and, and all of the creatures that inhabit our world. And it culminates in Genesis 1, 31, when God looked over all that he has, had made and saw that it was very good. God created and then proclaimed that everything he made was very good. And this is a phrase, I think sometimes we really miss the magnitude of this in its simplicity. 
the Hebrew phrase for very good is a phrase called tov meod, which means so, so, so much more than the thing that has been created just being objectively good. But actually this word refers to all of the relationships and all of the ties between all of the things being very good. So in the Hebrew conception of our world, all of creation is connected and then the well-being of the whole of creation depends on the well-being of each individual element. So the original hearers of these words would have heard that word tov and they would have known that that refers to the goodness of the ties and the relationships and the interconnectedness of all things in creation. So where do we come in then into this web of interconnected relationships as humans? We see from the Genesis narrative that we were not created separately and distinct and, and apart from the natural world, but we were created from its dust. We read in Genesis 2 that God creates an earth creature. The word here is the Adam, which is not yet a name, but actually an origin story, meaning coming from the earth, the Adama. And then in Genesis 1:26, we read this miraculous truth that these earth creatures are created in God's own likeness a reflection of the community and divinity of the Trinity. And the Hebrew word for, for image or likeness that's used here is tselem. Excuse me if I'm, I'm pronouncing that wrong, but that comes from the root of to carve and actually means a representative figure. And again, I think this, I find this so mind blowing. It's so profound because at this time, it would only have been royalty, kings, that whatever would have been considered to be representatives of a deity. But, and I've just got great quote on the screen here which shows that in direct opposition to this prevailing worldview the writers of Genesis 1 democratize dignity by redistributing it to all humanity what an incredible truth and what a unique narrative of the creation of our world and the goodness of our God that is so countercultural to any other narrative of how this world came to be what a privilege that as we, as humans, represent God's very inherent nature to the world, a nature which is fundamentally communal and relational, where the relationships between God and people, people and each other, and people and the natural world are tov my ode, they're very good. But we know this is not news to us that these very good relationships were broken. Genesis 3 shows us that the, all of these relationships between God, God's people, people and each other, and people in the natural world have been broken. But we are so thankful that the story did not end there, that Jesus came to restore all of these broken relationships. I don't know about you, um, but growing up, and it is growing up in Northern Ireland, in case you didn't hear the, <laughs> the accent, growing up I certainly didn't hear about salvation as a restoration of all of these relationships. Yes, I heard of salvation as... I am in right relationship with God. And maybe sometimes also, you know, that spills out to other people. But I certainly didn't hear a lot about my relationship being restored by, with the natural world. If we believe that Jesus came to re reverse the curse of death and to restore what was broken and all that was lost, then the re restoration of all of these broken relationships is central to the mission of Jesus, not separate from it. Colossians 1, 19 to 20 tells us that God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile all things to himself, whether things on heaven or things, no, things on earth or things in heaven by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. And I wonder how many times you've read that passage as I certainly have in the past and implicitly read all people, 
not all things. But that's not what the text tells us. Jesus reconciled all things to himself, every person, every creature, every molecule, atom and organism through his death. And we know that he is returning to bring this to completion. So therefore, care for the creation environment, however we want to, to call it, is not a side issue to the gospel, but it is central and inherently woven into the very narrative of scripture. Remember, the story we live in is the story that we then live out. We as Christians have inherited some pretty bad theologies which have told us precisely the opposite of that that have told us either explicitly or implicitly that the natural world is somehow evil, sinful, which is inherently wrong, which is inferior to the spiritual, sort of loftier things that we should concern ourselves with, like worship and prayer and the prophetic. And all of these things are good. They're beautiful, central parts of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. But they are also things that we currently experience in our very earthy, very material world in which our feet are currently planted right now. I was listening to some worship the other day. It wasn't here, it wasn't yesterday or today, I promise. And I really was struck by a number of, of particular songs which reference us sort of leaving this world, going somewhere else to be with Jesus, kind of plucked from the earth and, and ascending into glory and all of those things. And I wonder for you, does that view still kind of hold? Is something that, that informs your thinking either implicitly or explicitly that one day the, our world will be destroyed and, and we'll be kind of rescued from it? And, and if so, you know, what impact might that have on the way that you engage with the natural world? This morning I was really struck in our worship. It was such a joy to sing and proclaim um, in the song, is it, we want to see your kingdom here and call for heaven to come down, not for us to escape the world and somehow experience heaven there, but asking God to bring his kingdom here. Something I love about Vineyard. Um, so our eschatology, how we think about the end of the world and how things are going um, to happen in that way, it really does profoundly impact the way we live on the earth in the here and now. If we live in a story that tells us that our physical world is inherently evil and is one day just going to be burned up and disappear, of course our lived response out of that might not be one of love, of tending, of protection and of servitude to the natural world. But rather we often see that the consequences of that narrative is that it will be a relationship of exploitation. And we see the consequences of this exploitative relationship with the natural world all around us, where a spirit of never enoughness has pillaged our natural world for its riches and resources, leading to the current crises that we find ourselves in, in a climate and ecological emergency. And as Hannah said, at Tear Fund, we work in communities all around the world, and we are really seeing the consequences of this exploitative relationship. Our floods and droughts are becoming more destructive, destroying people's homes, communities, livelihoods, or these extreme weather events are becoming more severe, meaning that crops are dying, where people are going hungry, and there really is a huge human cost to this crisis. But we are Jesus' people, so we believe that God is creating a new heaven and a new earth. In Revelation 21, 1, we see that I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the old heaven and old earth had also disappeared. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem coming down from God out of heaven. And the one on the throne said, look, I am making everything new. And the word new here can sometimes cause some issues. If God's going to totally undo and remake the world, then why bother trying to save it? 
But we even need to remember that the one on the throne here is making things new, not necessarily making a new thing. God is reversing the curse of sin and death in a renewed world and is restoring us back to right relationship, back to Eden, back to Shalom, to Tov Ma'od, to the, all of these relationships being very good. So then for us, what is our response in the now and not yet kingdom of God? How do we live out this story? The answer is to usher in the kingdom of God, to partner with God in the renewal and reconciliation of all things. One of the things I have always loved and admired about the vineyard movement is the emphasis on kingdom, not a kingdom which is far off, but one which is right here, right now. And it really has been a joy to experience that in the past couple of days. So what does kingdom look like in a climate emergency? Before Hannah chats to us about the practical response, I just wanna do a little quick exercise with you. I'd like you to close your eyes and picture a place in creation maybe somewhere local to you that you would maybe go um, quite regularly, but picture somewhere where you have experienced the majesty of creation. Maybe somewhere where God has captured your heart or your attention. Now with that view in mind, zoom out a little bit and imagine the wider context of this place. Maybe the region or the nation it's a part of, the wider world. And now think about maybe some of the interconnections between this place and others. You can open your eyes now if you haven't already. Our world has always been interconnected. We read at the, big, at the beginning that this was once in a way that was fundamentally good, tov my ode, where all of these relationships were characterized by shalom. But our world is arguably more connected than ever before and no longer in a way which ultimately mirrors that peace and shalom of God. We live in a highly globalized world and that particular place that you would have gone to in your mind, wherever it might be, is so intricately connected to the world around us. Whether that's through the movement of people, goods, services, financial flows, ideas, trade, the nature of what a particular place actually is can never be extrapolated or disconnected from all of the global forces and connections which are forming it. It's a famous geographer, um, I've got to get my degree in there somewhere. <laughs> Is it Doreen Massey? She called this a global sense of place. And nothing demonstrates this, I think, more viscerally, this kind of interconnection. Nothing demonstrates this more strikingly than the impacts of climate change, which we know transcend national borders and disproportionately impact those living in poverty. We know that the poorest 3.5 billion of people on our planet are responsible for just 10% of emissions. But these are the same people who are already facing the worst impacts of climate change. In 2016, world hunger increased for the first time in more than a decade. And it's continued to increase every year since because of climate change and conflict, with climate change exacerbating the risk of conflict. And our continual relial, particularly in the West, on fossil fuels is pushing our global neighbours deeper into poverty. And we do believe that this is a justice issue. So as believers, we're all very familiar with the idea of being called to love our neighbour. But what does this look like when we think of this global sense of place? And at Tear Fund, we believe that it practically means loving our global neighbours. And just what I want to draw our attention to today is those global neighbours are often so much more connected to us than we think, even in just the ways that we are living our everyday, ordinary lives. 
And we believe that we really are called to love all of our global neighbors as part of a whole life response to the reality of the gospel. I know some of these kind of stats and um, sort of chat around climate change can be really difficult for us to get our heads around and to really imagine. So I'd like to introduce you to a man named Norman. My name is Norman, Norman Molina. I'm, um, I'm from Honduras, Central America. The effects of climate change are, are huge. The strongest evidence is that levels of poverty are rising. Honduras, Central America, almost 60% of our population is, is living in poverty. Migration, waves of people trying to move up north, especially to find uh, livelihoods, make a living, because mostly of, of climate change. Fishing communities. You know, they had their small restaurant they, and they cook the fish and they sell fish for a living. These communities don't exist anymore because the water levels have, have increased in ways that have made communities, entire communities disappear. Rain has become a threat. Uh, our hearts start pumping very fast and our minds start creating stories and we we're traumatized by it. Every time I hear rain, is this fear of what's going to happen, which is sad because rain in the Bible for us, rain, it's, it's, it's a sign of, of blessing, of, of life, of crops and, and, and growth. And sadly, because of, of the damage and the vulnerability that we have in our, in our countries, rain has become a threat. So last year, uh, we had two hurricanes that caused huge damage, especially in the north uh, coast of Honduras, Two hurricanes in one weekend between, not even in my wildest dream, I never imagined having that. More than 4 million people affected by these two hurricanes, more than 100,000 people in shelters. It's funny that climate change, for example, it's, it's not one of the things that we contribute the most in the region, like Central America especially. However, we are the ones that um, are affected the most. Central America is one of the most, if not the most affected, uh, or a most vulnerable uh, area to climate change. We're brothers and sisters in all this. Uh, we belong to a global community. What you decide to do and the decision that the powerful people decide to make has an effect on us. And if these decisions are positive, um, it would be good for us. But if we continue this pattern of exploitation and destruction and going beyond the limits of the planet, maybe you will not feel it, but we will feel it. Yeah, it always strikes me when I listen to that video, the bit where he says, just never expected that to happen. And I think so often we can see the impacts of climate change in communities like Norman's and we think, but yeah, but they're kind of used to a bit of chaos, used to these kind of things happening. They are not. The stuff that is happening now is unprecedented and it is surprising them and we need to be surprised by it. We need to be like, that's not okay. This is, this is not okay. Um, yeah, so at the start of Romans 12, such a familiar passage to us all, I'm sure, it says, therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. 
And when a friend of mine first spoke to me um, about how her choices to buy sustainable clothes or to always carry around a keep cup were part of her life of worship, I was a little bit dismissive, to say the least. It was a bit like, oh, really? Is that really where we're going here? And then as I started engaging with that thought and asking God to show me more of what he might want for me in this part of my life, it... I was completely blown away by how it enabled me to bring God into my everyday life on a whole new level, into my small decisions, into my decisions about what I eat, what I buy, how I travel, how I heat my home. And actually, it's been like a revolutionary discipleship journey, one which I'm definitely still living out and not in any way near perfection. Um, it's challenged my ideas about consumption, what I am owed, what I'm due. Um, and I believe it's enabled me to offer more of my life as a living sacrifice. Paul goes on to urge us to not conform to the pattern of this world, but to be transformed. And one of the big questions for me in this whole area is, is this an area where as Christians, we have just conformed? to the patterns of this world. We haven't questioned them. I find that I have to be so intentional to resist the cultural pressures of endlessly working to achieve and acquire more and more. It feels so normal, doesn't it? And our culture tells us we are only worth what we have. But God doesn't want us to conform. He wants us to be transformed. This quote really challenged me, a guy called Gus Speth, who um, he's kind of an environmental lawyer and has been a scientist and has like about seven hats. But he says, I used to think that the top environmental problems were biodiversity loss, ecosystem collapse, and climate change. I thought that with 30 years of good science, we could address these problems, but I was wrong. The top environmental problems are selfishness, greed, and apathy. And to deal with those, we need a spiritual and cultural transformation. And we scientists don't know how to do that. I really believe that this is a heart issue. I was watching the film Judy um, recently. I don't know if any of you have seen it, but the story of Judy Garland. And we see teenage Judy being given diet pills by the film studio to make her look the part, more pills to keep her going for long hours, and even more pills to help her sleep for the few hours she had off every day. She was treated like a commodity, all to increase their profits. And this had lifelong impacts for her and led to her death. As I was watching it, I was struck just how much of a parallel that was of how we humans have viewed creation as a commodity that we can use in any way we like for our own benefits and profits. It's a societal issue, but it's an individual heart issue. And as churches, we are in the business of transformation, aren't we? God is in the business of transformation. God's transformation begins in our hearts and it seeps into everything we do. Are we open to his transformation in this area? What might he be shining a light on? It's another area like so many parts of our discipleship where he's not asking for perfection, but just for the next step and for us to be open to his leading. And I really believe that this journey can bring us into freedom as we let God into the every detail of our lives. And I want to encourage you today to lean in and let God transform you. 
as we've said, being on this journey of learning to value creation is joining God on his mission of restoration. It is part of building his kingdom here on earth, a kingdom where we are all able to flourish, including God's whole creation. And as I've been seeing this outworked in churches, I actually think it's one of the best ways of modeling Jesus and his mission to our world in the 21st century. We are seeing people come to faith through churches engaging with these issues. We are called to be nonconformists. We aren't meant to settle for the status quo, but to choose Jesus and his kingdom. So how do we change culture in our churches so that this is a normal part of our worship and discipleship? So, so for some of you, you're talking about your churches of starting talking about this, but if you haven't already, I would just encourage you to start talking about it. I guarantee there will already be some people around you who are taking steps on this journey or who are concerned about the changes we're seeing in our climate. So open up the conversation, talk about it, find a few people, gather them, have a conversation, maybe keep your church leader in the loop if you can do that. Um, find out what others are thinking of doing and share the stories of what you are feeling personally challenged about. What is God saying to you about it? We want to see churches leading the way on climate, being people and institutions who stand up and say that our current systems do not protect this incredible world made by our creator God or those who he has created. And around the country, we are seeing Christians engaging with their MPs on this issue, talking to their local councils, local schools, businesses, alongside reducing their own carbon footprint as a church community. Um, so instead of me giving you a list of what you can do, uh, we've um, got a video of a church um, who have gone on this journey recently. So we're just gonna watch that and I'll come back. So I'm Rachel and I go to New Life Baptist Church in North Allerton, a small market town in North Yorkshire. During a time of prayer, I um, was just pondering on the words of a song, um, break my heart for what breaks yours. And during that time, I got a tear fund email, um, which talked about the Climate Emergency Toolkit. It just suddenly occurred to me that God's heart was breaking over his creation. There'd been talk about starting an ecumenical group um, looking at the environment. So I went to our minister and asked about it and he um, kind of said, yeah, we've got some names of reps from different churches that are interested. We'll get in touch with them and you can call a meeting. So we had a Zoom meeting and we had 11 reps from the five different churches in our town. Um, and it was really exciting because suddenly instead of just being one or two voices in a church there were lots of us and so from that we started a group called One North Allerton, One Planet. We looked in detail at the Climate Emergency Toolkit, the resources within it, how to engage with our leadership and with our congregations and the sorts of things we could do sort of leading up to declaring an emergency and as a result of that four of the churches had a climate sunday service and three of us declared an emergency as christians we have a responsibility for our environment and the planet 
It's important that everyone in the church, a church of 250 people, that we all get behind this. And, and so we made, uh, on a Sunday morning as part of our worship service, issued the climate emergency, got behind all that. As a church, then that's led to us doing an, an assessment of the energy use in the church and, and what we can do about um, using energy more safely and more carefully to reduce our carbon footprint. And we challenged the church on that Sunday morning, each individual, of what you can do in your car, in your home, in your street. It's the cumulative effect of everybody doing their little bit that can make a difference. And, uh, and I think a lot of people really got their eyes open to what they can do and went away challenged to be able to do uh, their bit for this, uh, this whole initiative. As One North Allerton, One Planet, we wanted to really reach out and engage with our community, not just act within the churches. So we put on a number of events leading up to COP26. So we had a market stall during the Great Big Green Week. And then we organised a big event in the town hall called What Can We Do About Climate Change? We invited some groups from the community to come and sort of have a stall. So we have a, a litter picking group called the Wombles and North Yorkshire Rotters that do stuff with food waste and composting and things. Everybody was so interested that we actually felt the need to launch a bigger umbrella group that would encompass all these different groups that have come together on our day in the town hall. And we've now launched a group called Climate Action North Allerton. And we've just put on our first event, another event in the town hall for the um, Climate Coalition Show the Love campaign, declaring our love for our planet and sending messages to our local politicians um, about what we'd like them to do. And that was really successful. And we got uh, 15 different community groups making hearts. We, we've made a, a few different collages that have gone up around the town and we're gonna hopefully take one to Rishi Sunak, who's our MP. And we also got some of the local councillors to come to the event. Um, so we had some good conversations with people from our district council and county council. So yeah, lots going on and it's really exciting and it's just grown much bigger than I'd ever expected. It's just been lovely to engage with the community find some common ground and work together and it's been a privilege i think god's really just used our little group as a catalyst to make that happen which has been fantastic this is a wonderful opportunity to engage with your community it resonates with people outside of the christian community because most people want to do something to help their planet so it's a great thing for every church i think every church should take up the banner we might think we can do very little but if we all do our parts then it multiplies on reflection, I think God's taught me that responding to that initial call of what is on your heart has really shown me that God is at work and he uses us wherever small our part and that it's now got so much bigger and there's so many people involved and it's him that's, that's been at work all the time. Bro, thank you. Um, yeah, so Rachel mentioned there the Climate Emergency Toolkit, and this has been a resource that we have drawn together at Tear Fund. Um, 
with support from 10 other, well, more than 10 other organizations have been working on it with us, but we've got resources from more than 10 organizations in it to help churches respond to the climate crisis. It's a toolkit purposefully so that you can pick and choose what would work best for your context. There is no one size fits all in there. We just heard Rachel's story. I could show you another story of another church and it would sound completely different. Um, I was talking to a church the other day who's made this amazing, they're building this amazing community garden and it's going to have like an outdoor stage in it and they're going to have music festivals all through the summer this summer. Like, you know, there's all sorts of ways that churches are going about this. Um, and that toolkit, uh, it includes small group resources, it includes ideas for Sunday services, uh, it has tools to help you reduce your carbon footprint as church, as well as the kind of things that helped Rachel engage with her local community. We hope it is a tool that brings culture can bring help to bring culture change in your church and also show you the variety of ways that you can outwork this in your locality. The climate crisis can seem big and overwhelming, but we aren't on our own in this. We have direct access to the creator who is restoring and renewing all things and inviting us to join him in that work. So as we spend time with him, listen to what he's saying, listen to his promptings, and sharing what we're feeling about this. For some people in this room, this will be, there will be climate anxiety. That is the thing that is being talked about now. And you will meet people with quite severe climate anxiety as you start engaging more with this. So we need to share with God how we're feeling and bring the issue before him and asking him for specific things. All of that is a key part for how we can respond as Christians. In the story of Esther, Archie mentioned it last night, we see a brilliant example of how prayer and action go together. In Esther 4.16, it says, she says, go gather all the Jews who are in Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my attendants will fast as you do. When this is done, I will go to the king, even though it is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. Esther doesn't take the easy road. She takes the risk and she speaks out. She asks for just leadership, for the king to think about the impact of his actions. But she knows she cannot do it alone. And she calls the Jewish people to pray and fast as she goes. And that is what we need, communities of people who can come together in prayer and action around the climate crisis. I believe then we will see extraordinary things. For me, it is asking the question, what can be changed to make the world more like the kingdom of God? What can we do to usher in the kingdom of God now? A kingdom where we are all able to flourish, God's whole creation, both now and in the future for our children and their children. It's about praying for God's kingdom to come and then asking him, what can I do to make that happen? How can I use my voice, my influence, my everyday life choices to bring in God's kingdom. So on that note, oh, we are doing all right for time. So we've got some time for questions. Um, there's obviously a lot of practicalities in this. So if you've got practical questions, it'd be great to hear them um, or any other kind of bigger picture questions as well. And we have a roving mic. Oh, you can come forward, come forward. Is that what we're gonna do, if you can do that? <laughs> Um, 
so I suppose um, our, so in our context is we're very church made up of a lot of young people like probably like most people are kind of like university age maybe young adult and I probably say that um, like climate anxiety is like our is is like a big old deal yeah. um, so I was just wondering what if you have some yeah, I suppose I was just wondering about some resource things because um, I think for people our age, we're a little, like, people my age, we're kind of a little bit, like, disenchanted by, like, a, an idea of our, like, small changes. I suppose maybe a really good example of why that would be is, like, we've spent our whole lives, like, recycling. Yeah. And then we see that, like, the government ships it to yeah. be, like, put into like landfill so we're looking very practically and being like we're doing the like stuff that the news is telling us to do to like save the planet and it's not actually like on us yeah which kind of like boils that it like turns the heat up on that like anxiety thing so just wondering if you've got like resources and or what you kind of how you maybe like engage with that a little bit yeah, and it, I mean it's a it's a very real thing. What um, <laughs> we, I mean, obviously the lifestyle actions, they they do they do make a difference. So there is a thing of like saying they they do, but the fact is is that it is the governments and businesses that need to make the much bigger actions to actually save the world. Please, um, uh, and, but what we've also found is that especially I think well what we've also found is that if people aren't doing the small actions they're far less likely to use their voice to speak out on the big stuff so that's one of the reasons we really encourage the small actions is because if you're doing the small actions you feel much more likely to write to your MP about it write to a business tell them you know as a consumer I'm not happy with this all of that kind of stuff go on a climate march and use your voice all of those things um, in terms of anxiety do you have specific resources I've got things that I use in my own life. It's something on my to-do list that we need to write on. It like literally is, for this year, this is one of the things that we need to do. There are some people out there, I found this amazing woman, her first name is Brit. You can find her on Twitter. And she's about to release a really good book on climate anxiety. Her stuff, like, is, it's just beautiful. I love it. Um, and it's, it, but it's really real, and there are some, there are some really good writers out there on it. I haven't seen, no, the people who, do, there is somebody who does it in the Christian world. Ah, oh. is it a Russia? Have they done, no, that's not them. No, I don't think they have. There is someone. <laughs> if you want to give me your email address, I will dig out what the Christian is, but I, we, that is going to be our next thing. The, t the toolkit, we needed to get it done. This climate anxiety is is our next thing because we need some we need some reflections on it we need some just some easy pick up resources and I think it is an area that we haven't done yet. Sorry, Jim. Is it Brit Ray? Yes, Brit Ray Ray with a W R A Y. I'm not I don't think she's a Christian but she talks in yeah she ha I don't she might be a Christian she feels it feels very familiar yeah. <laughs> Do you, um, I think the only thing I have to add as well is I think that as people of God, we are carriers of hope. So we always have an antidote to anxiety just within us. And I, I don't mean that to dismiss the reality of climate anxiety at all. But I just, I think 
as church leaders, then it puts additional responsibility who are people who are communicating directly with young people to communicate in a way that is grounded in hope and the reality of God re renewing and restoring all things. And I think two things personally that I found helpful that in my own journey moved me from a place of complete overwhelm and non-action to a place of like faithful, small discipleship was one, the reality that small acts do matter. And it took me a long time to to see that and to, to understand that. Um, there's a story of Christina Fogueres, who was the UN, what's her role now, of the chair of the IPCC. Yeah. At some stage, very high UN woman, we will check her title <laughs> and can confirm. But she has um, famously said of the Paris Agreement where they set the um, target for 1.5, that that would not have happened were it not for people of faith and for the radical prayer and campaigning that went into achieving that and I think so it's a real reminder to me that we have and, and we've seen so many policy changes as a direct result of the campaigning that we've done at Tear Fund and I think that reminds me that okay this may feel really small and like Hannah said that you know using your whole body as a living sacrifice and that then often is the first step to okay well I will speak out on this in a public forum creating that political will and space of, of a sort of asking our representatives to represent us that actually that has happened and I and that's important to ground ourselves in the hope that it has worked but also for me the reality of well if it doesn't it's still obedience and if it doesn't it's still discipleship and I personally have found it very empowering um to see that my actions can make a difference. I used to, I don't know about you guys, but I grew up in the very millennial idea of you can do whatever you want. You're gonna save the world. Like you are an incredible person. And if you go to uni and do this, you will literally solve global poverty. Now yourself, just you as a person, very quickly realized that that is not possible and that it's a lot more complicated than that. And even things that have done, been done to cause good and with good intentions have actually caused harm. If we look at all the evils of colonialism and. I could rant, but I'll not. But that left me to a place of total inaction because I thought, well, I don't know how to do global mission and this and that or in a, in a good way. And that's caused loads of harm. So I'll just go over here and I'll not do anything at all. But realizing what I shared earlier about the connectedness of all of our lives. So the things that we do, the clothes that we wear, the way that we consume our carbon emissions, which do affect other places, that actually that resists those systems. Like I can't change them, me in, of, on, in and of myself, but I can my very act of choosing to buy secondhand clothes or less meat or whatever it might be for you, that's an act of resistance against the empire and that's empowering as followers of Jesus. So I think we have yeah, a responsibility to talk about this in an empowering and hope-filled narrative. She works for us at Tear Fund. She does, because one of her books is great for kids. It's called Planet Protectors, 52 Ways to Look After God's World by Ruth Valeria. And she's written quite a few other books for adults as well. Yeah. So she's, I mean, her, her father taught us at Bible College, oh, yeah. Martin Goldsmith. And she is just doing a fantastic job now. And the more you find out, it's very practical and it's very readable and it's very, very applicable. So, my eight year old loves planet protectors, and <laughs> as if by magic. Da, 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 da. Here's one we brought earlier. Um, yeah, Ruth is our global advocacy and influence directing director, but she is the one, like, before I even worked for Tear Fund, that inspired me that 
actually my actions matter and like this is a and even like this book saying yes to life she's loads of others but this book I think is just profound it, it was the Archbishop of Canterbury's Lent book in 2020 and it walks through the whole creation story with a chapter for each kind of one on light and creature it's just it's so profound there's so much richness there and if you ever do have people who stumble um kind of you're feeling tripped up by the theology of it she just has incredible like I've underlined every word in this book so I doesn't she so well so yeah I thank you we're, we're, we both admitted this week that we're both fangirls of Ruth Valerio, so <laughs> there we go. It's now on public record. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> great. Any other questions? Yeah, great. Hi. So, yeah, I am a fellow churchgoer. I'm not a leader um, in terms of the, like, on staff or anything. Yeah. Um, and I find that there's maybe... I'm not have, being able to have those conversations with senior leaders about how to do climate change. Do you have any ideas on practical things I can start with be like hey why don't we do this in our church or what's like the small steps that I can maybe take to my senior leadership team and say this is what we can do to yeah. kind of help them kickstart so it doesn't feel too massive, too massive yeah. so just some practical tips on that yeah uh, there is um, a resource in the toolkit about how to talk to a church leader about climate and we go through um we go through kind of like the different ways that church leaders might go in. So like how it can contribute to evangelism, how it can contribute to if your church is a justice loving church, like just, but it's kind of like frameworks to have that conversation if that's helpful, but then really practical tips. Um, I mean, for me, I think the first thing is, I think it still is like, can we have a Sunday sermon at some point, just like a simple, and get someone in who would be respected and trusted in that context. Um, you know, whether whether it's someone, I mean, I'm sure there would be people within the Vineyard Network who would be able to do that, or we. That's what we spend a lot of our time doing is going around churches, doing that, giving that kind of theological framework, and why a lot of what we've talked about here today. Um, and and then and and small group resources like could could there be. Uh, yeah, we've got we've got these really lovely videos. Just going to plug it. Um, there's this amazing climate scientist uh, called Catherine Hayhoe, who is Canadian, but she's married to a Texan pastor. So she lives in Texas. She's a climate scientist. She is an incredible communicator, and she just talks to the Christian evangelical charismatic world about climate in just really great ways. And we have nine short videos with her with small group questions again it's all linked in the toolkit or you can find it on the TFM website and um like that like just something really simple like that and that you could if there's if there's massive pushback you could say could I just do it in my small group but you know it is it's a really good terms worth of resource and interesting conversations and all of that kind of thing I think those for me are still the simplest ways in the you know you also can go down the could could I have space to just make a few changes to how we do certain other practical things around the church. A big win is the ele um, uh, energy. What am I saying? Yeah, yeah, energy. Uh, moving to renewables. At the moment, the energy thing is a bit crazy, but when that settles down again, that is like a big win, makes a huge difference to carbon footprints. And it's like something you can say in a seminar like this, and it shows that everyone's moving forward and we all celebrate. And there's actually, there's a switching service for churches called the Big Switch um, that churches can get advice on it as well. Yeah, yes, go for it, yeah. Sorry, is that enough? Is that helpful? 
Can I just say that is exa the exact opposite question I was going to ask was that as a part of a leadership team, how do we engage better with people to, <laughs> to kind of get that stuff coming out? Because we're desperate to see things move forward. And, and what, what we did was about a year ago, we kind of opened the door a little bit to, to the issue going, are we, are we well represented in this area? And we weren't. Yeah. Like, like it was an eye opener for us. And actually we saw a lot of, um, I've written frustration and f fanatical, but real reaction to, to, to we should be leading the way and we should be showing the rest of the world as Christians how to look after God's world. And we really struggled. We're like, how do we put something around this? Because we felt time was, a, was an issue, a resource of how to react to that. We knew it was important. Uh, resources, structure, how to actually make a lasting impact, make sure we were biblically relevant, yeah. that it wasn't just a reaction, that we weren't just doing something, it was something that lasted, that made a difference, that was going to be something that would, that would move us forward, that would affect our culture, affect our Christian message, how we outreached. And I just want to say to you guys that we found this tier fund resource. I don't know if you've looked at it. It is brilliant. Oh, thank you. It is so, so, so good. And it's been so useful. That toolkit, like we've dipped into that. And those videos from um, Mrs. Hayhoe, I forgot her first name. Catherine. Catherine Hayhoe yeah. have been really good. And actually we had a small connect group set up that's been running for a couple of seasons just showing those videos to increase awareness. One of the messages we've got is, is we're not doing enough. We, we need to do more and we need to do it now. And that's been a pressure. So how, how do we deal as church leaders with that? Because we know there's a passion. We know there's a thirst and, and a hunger for seeing this change come. Yeah. But for all the, maybe for the, some of the reasons I've mentioned about resources and time and, yeah. but, but trying to do something lasting. Yeah. Um, we, we, we have, I love that first thing that you said about just talking about it. So we have this forum now. We have this group called L Looking After God's World, although I much prefer a green team. I'm, I, can I steal that, please? Because <laughs> way more punchy. So Looking After God's World group, and you know, we've, we've, we've done a couple of talks on it. Yeah. We advertise it. Do you want to come and be part of this group and, and discover stuff with us? And actually, it's really, it's really growing and it's becoming something. But I love it. But as a, as a church leadership, how, do we, how can we... Did I, was there a question came out of that? Yeah, almost. Could you? So, so as church leadership, yeah. How do we better integrate with the limits of resources that we have? Because yeah. we'd love to do everything. Yeah. How do we better integrate, you know, people into that ministry? Yeah. And and how do we express it out? Is yeah. That, is that clear? I'm I, I'm 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 slightly pausing just because like the main thing is making a team right that that is like one of the things who champions it and and you you are doing that so um and we we've been running this um uh, this course for church networks and i can say this out loud because i have actually spoken to vineyard leadership about this this week so um we've been we get together kind of climate champions from churches in a network so we've done it with the hgb network a few weeks ago um New Wine, New Frontiers, planning a vineyard one, that's what I'm coming to. Um, and what we do there is invite church leaders to give us, put us in contact with a couple of people who they would trust to, to lead on this in their church, um, who we can then come alongside and we do like three 90 minute sessions, just kind of short. A lot of it is based on the toolkit, but obviously you're talking much further around it. Um, and then we have those relationships that we can then 
be drawing alongside people, help them keep moving forward. Because I'm just, I mean, so many of my friends are church leaders. You can't hold everything as a church leader. It's just impossible. So how, how, do, how do we help you do that? This has been our way. I'm not saying it's perfect, but this is our, our way that we've been trying to engage with individuals who are passionate in churches and we can help them. So we, most churches would send like two or three people and, and we have that, com and then you've got connections with other people within your network as well, who are trying to do the same thing. And we're just, just trying to, yeah, help move the conversation forward. So that is something that will be coming. Um, great, great, I'll hurry it up then. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, that'll be great. Hi, my name is Nick. Um, and this is a question as much for the room as it is for, for you, Hannah. Um, and that's, as Vineyard Churches, what is, what is our distinctive here? What, what, what can we really contribute that other churches maybe can't? So we start off with um, maybe catching up with what the world's doing, or maybe we Christianize what the world is doing, and, and that's, that's limited value. And I wonder if we are, we have a prophetic call in this moment. We, we, we're here for a reason, and what part of that reason is to speak truth to power, and it's to... Um, stand up for stuff but as vineyards we do things in certain ways and there are certain ways we do things that maybe get through that other people can't do so well yeah so that's a question i've been pondering for a while and, mm. and one answer one one example of that is that we do a lot of compassion ministries in the vineyard so we're often dealing with people who are struggling and who are dealing with the the repercussions or the the outcomes of some of these things and so if yeah. we're dealing with refugees yeah um we can say we can say we have a voice at the table to say, we deal with refugees and this is why they're coming and that's going to increase. We see this increasing, we see. And people can't tell us that we're just preaching and being do-gooders because they can actually, they know that we are at the sharp end dealing with the, the results. So the tutu saying about not just putting people out of the water but going upstream and finding out who's pushing them in, you, you have, we have a voice at the table. We don't use it very often in Vineyard. We're, we're, we're very cautious to use it. We, we, we like to be quiet and get on with good, good stuff, don't we? But that gives us a voice, that gives all of you in your local churches a voice, and people will listen when you, when you speak and when you ask about the reasons. So that's just one. But I wonder if other people have other ideas as to how we as vineyards can, can lead rather than follow. Mm -hmm. is, that a, is, that a, is that a fair question that's to a ask? great question to ask. Yeah. Just, I am... Um, not a Vineyard Church member, by the way, just to throw that out there, but I've been working with some of the Vineyard Churches in Northern Ireland, and just by way of a quick example, we had a conference of church leaders a couple of weeks ago, and Ruth Valerio um, spoke at that, and we discussed the theology and then the action points, and we invited church leaders from all across Northern Ireland, and Dragon Valley Vineyard were able to host that and facilitate that, but what really struck me was um, one of the pastors the next day on the Sunday morning shared that while we were having leaders gathering to talk about climate in one room, they had their local compassion ministry in the back room who were getting ready to with the supplies to go out and paint a local refugee's house. And it so struck me the beauty of being able to engage in local and global issues of poverty and justice at the same time. I love that Vineyard are always all about the local and that's incredible. Um, I think it is. It's introducing, like, you do have a voice on, on the global too, and it's been able to do both of those in, simultaneously, which I think is really beautiful. Yeah, yeah so I, I, um, I run a renewable energy business, and um, uh, one of the things that, well, the biggest barrier to uptake of renewables is cost. Yeah. And, you know, I, um, I guess there's a, a bit of a question and also maybe a, a, a proposal of sorts is, you know, what, what 
conversations are, are happening um, with, uh, with with the, the, the wider secular business world because um, there's a lot of funding out there uh, for this and a huge amount of appetite um, to really you know do something about about the uptake of renewables and you know, reaching our uh, carbon emission targets, all that sort of thing. Um, but you know, in terms of um, us as um, you know, the venue movement and also Tier Fund, um, you know, I'd, I'd love to see um, just a lot more conversation and collaboration happening with the business world, with the finance world, um, to really start um, exploring ways that you know we, we can we can access um, that funding for churches. And we, we, we're actually working with um, the Church of England, uh, Weatherby Diocese at the moment, um, who are very, very keen on doing something about this and yeah. you know, reducing their carbon emissions in their churches. And um, uh, But it, it takes that conversation, that connection with you know the secular business environment, really, to, um, to, to make that happen. So um, it's, it's a bit of a question in terms of you know, a, a tier fund actively yeah, g generating these connections and conversations and uh, not in this country we we do that ab abroad in the countries we're working in um but as you say the church of england are are doing stuff and then a russia as well a russia uk are also i know that they have those conversations and i think it would be interesting as a vineyard movement, I mean, the Church of England, you know, they've put their goal of net zero by 2030. So they have like a whole massive department now working on how they decarbonize all their churches. I, I don't know what that looks like for the vineyard movement, um, but I think it's a really good, it's a really good question. Um, yeah, yeah. I, I'm going to leave that one with you rather than answering Thanks. it. Yeah. <laughs> I think you might. Well, yeah, yeah. Okay. yeah we, we're, we, I've been told it's time, it is five past three. Sorry, yeah, yeah. go on. No, it's fine. Go on, so, Last oh, comment. Talk to you afterwards about. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, yes. Just on that, talking to you afterwards. Um, we, uh, my colleague Chris at the back there, who um, he, he's got some uh, contact forms for anyone who wants to stay in touch with Tier Fund on these kind of issues. Which so this is our like uh, climate. Uh, yeah. Or, yeah. It's it's mine and Lauren's team rather than the whole of Tier Fund. Um, but also, if there's anything specific, like if you're interested in climate leaders, just put that on there, and I'll just make sure that you're kept in touch on that. Or if there's anything specific, you can also just write something or come and talk to us afterwards. We will be around. And also to say that uh, tomorrow, 27th is tomorrow, isn't it, I think, uh, we're launching our new climate campaign. Um, so keep an eye out for that. So this is a, a, a petition to sign. It's um, about climate finance, so asking the, the UK government to use their... Um, the, their COP26, they're still, they're still in charge, basically, for the year to encourage them and other countries like them to give climate finance to those people in countries that need it who are already suffering from the effects of climate change. Um, so that is our next petition, which will be running between tomorrow and the next COP27. Um, so that's just, it's a really good way of engaging people and and we find that these petitions do actually make a difference. I didn't really know that before I joined the campaigns team. And then I hear all the stories. I'm like, they do actually make a difference. Um, so yeah, so thanks for being with us. We're here if you want to chat and yeah.